0: Teenagers. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin.
1: Conversation, expertise, and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Well, hello
0: and and welcome to Luke Reese. We're very lucky to have Luke with us on Talking Teenagers today. And I wonder if we could start off by you telling us a little bit about your story.
2: Of course. First of all, thank you so much uh, to both Jameses for for having me here today. A real pleasure and honor to to join you guys in the Talking Teenagers podcast. Um, In terms of my personal story, I think my story relates to a lot of young people in terms of how I kind of went through a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings as a young person in particular. Uh, I'll always remember that in 2012, I was one decision away from a totally different life. And at that moment, in that present time, I didn't know what that decision was going to be. Now, flashback to all those years ago, I was suffering and, and losing a battle of my anxiety and depression. I was suffering in silence. I used to pretend I was okay when in reality I wasn't. Being a, a six foot three stereotypical South Wales rugby lad, talking about your feelings and sharing your emotions just wasn't something that appeared natural. It was something that was always seen as if you had to hide. That led to a number of setbacks in my life. How I viewed it was that a lot of teachers just thought that I was misbehaved, chose to misbehave. A lot of my peers just thought I was putting on this act. Everyone looked at me and saw someone completely different. But when I looked in the mirror, I saw someone who wasn't me. I saw someone who was ashamed of what I was going through, who was embarrassed of why I was feeling like this and didn't have the answers. I'd always question myself of why do I feel like this? Why me? because I thought as if I was the only person that felt like this, who, who suffered from mental health problems. So I did my very best to hide it. So every single day I chose to wear a mask. So rather than share my real feelings, I put a smile on my face and, and my nickname in school became Smiler. And if you ask any of my teachers going back, they'd always say I, I'm the smiliest kid about. They would never see me walking through the corridor without a smile on my face. Now to everyone else looking in, into my world and looking into what I was going through, I was just a happy young child enjoying school, who would often there and there misbehave. But the fact was, deep down, I was I was losing a battle, and I chose to hide that, and I I hid that from everyone—my parents, my family, my friends. There was only one moment where I was my true self, and that was when I was playing sport. Sport became a real escapism for me, and it was that one thing that I held on to, no matter what I'd gone through that day. I always had sport to get me through it, and it didn't matter what sport it was, it didn't matter where it was. It just mattered that. Whenever I felt down, I knew that 4 p.m. on a Wednesday, I can go and play sport with my friends. And that's where I'd be at my happiest. And there came a point in time where I decided that I, I should—I just gave up. I felt that low and I knew I wanted to make a change. That was the real thing. I knew that I couldn't keep on going at like this, but I didn't know how. And there was one cold day in, in a, t- a Tuesday in November that I came home from school early because my anxiety, I suffered so badly in school that I'd have an anxiety attack and I would then leave school. And, and my attendance was down to around 35% throughout the year because I didn't have the confidence to stay in school.
1: Can I just ask, for those of us listening, what, what's it like to go, you know, when you talk about your anxiety, can you, what's that like? Can you explain to, to us listening, you know, what, what does that feel like when you're suffering from extreme anxiety?
2: So for me, anxiety was, was really that fear of the future. And it was the fear of the unknown. As a young person, I used to love controlling things in particular, from my perspective, I used to thrive when I felt in control of a situation. However, when the control got taken away from me, that's where my anxiety would would really start to, to kick in. And that anxiety would often be a rush of blood that nosiness you get in your stomach when you're about to do something for the first time. And those feelings that I never realized that it was actually okay to have those feelings, it meant I was actually stepping outside of my comfort zone, but i didn 't like that, and i didn 't really like that feeling at all and Because no one talked about it before, and I, I never heard anyone talk about it at my age, I thought that that was something that that meant I was something wrong with me so instead of now where I chase for that that feeling of of stepping out your comfort zone and that you know that awesome time when you do something for the first time or try something new, now I thrive for those situations as a young person, I used to run from them. And on the flip side of that, when it came to um, my depression, it was a case of that I was too busy holding on to the past. Uh, I was too focused on holding on to what was, um, and I was too busy of, I was too busy kind of being scared of, of actually what amazing things could happen. So instead I chose to say no to everything and in, in, cho- in choice to, to stay in the same place and hope that nothing would change.
1: So in terms of helping people with anxiety, perhaps just educating them in that sense that you're going to get the physical sensations of, fuzzy tummy cold sweaty hands all of that kind of stuff and to make them aware that that's really normal sounds like you you were unaware at that age that that was a really normal physical reaction
2: it was and i was kind of in the middle of nowhere thinking that this was why am i feeling like this why why is it me and when reality it wasn't everyone felt like this my teachers included So when I chose to to sat in 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 a classroom, one thing that teachers used to do is I always felt most confident when I sat at the back of the classroom. Now, from a teacher's perspective, they thought that I wanted to sit at the back of the classroom because I was the most disruptive and I wanted to cause the most havoc and disrupt my peers. And I could get away with talking at the back where I couldn't at the front. So the first thing teachers would do would say, right, Luke, you're not sitting at the back today. Come to the front of the class. Now, immediately when I come to the front of the class, that's when my anxiety would kick in. And I didn't really understand why that happened because I didn't know how to deal with my emotions and communicate that to my teacher. Now, the reason why my anxiety kicked in is because I then lost control of that situation and the teacher had control of it. And, and what my teachers didn't realize was that I had severe anxiety when I had people sat behind me because I wasn't able to see what they were looking at. When I'm sat at the back of the class, I was able to observe everyone in front of me and I had no one behind me thinking... Uh, what I was thinking so for me it was a real clear I could just focus on my education but whereas at the front of the class I'd have this voice in my head that would say look, what's all these people thinking about you and whenever I turned around to look I'd get in trouble for turning around because th- she thought I was starting a conversation but that's when I lost control of my anxiety and that would often then lead to me misbehaving or getting kicked out of the class or sometimes even walking out because I'd have an anxiety attack but I wasn't in a place where I could communicate that with my teachers And that's what really led to that kind of bad relationship between my teachers. But that was because I didn't know how to communicate that. And I didn't feel confident enough to, because whenever I tried to talk about what I was going through or whenever a teacher sat me down to ask, right, Luke, you've got a problem. I need you to tell me what's going on. And for me, that was the wrong question to be asking, because to me as a young person, that was an adult saying, right, you have a problem and I want you to tell me what it is. When I didn't even know what the problem was myself. So I think that played a, a big part of me kind of, yet yeah, again, choosing to, to hide I was really feeling. So what
1: would a better question have been, do you think, though?
2: I think we need to be really careful when speaking to young people or speaking to anyone in that, in that fact, whether it be in the workplace or young people, because I think we need to be careful with the language that we choose to use. If we were to ask young people, you know, how are you feeling? The first question. Let's explore what happened let's explore what made you feel like this. And I think by asking more questions, open-ended questions rather than, because what, how I saw that, how I reacted to that question was, right, an adult is telling me I have a problem. I need to find out what that problem is and I need to tell them what it is. When I didn't even know that problem existed myself and, and often reflecting back on those times, it was more of a case that when they were asking me that question, I suddenly then believed I did have a problem because I didn't know what else to believe. So they was feeding that into me and then I was trying to dig deep inside of something when instead of digging deep and finding an answer and finding a meaning and getting to the bottom and going through the layers that I'd built up, I was actually just pushing and compressing things down in my stomach because I didn't want to share them, trying to dig for something that wasn't actually there.
0: Uh, how were your parents during during that time, Luke?
2: I think my parents found it really tough and I think it will be okay with me saying that uh, because I wasn't open in terms of talking about my feelings. They saw the, I, I talk a lot about my anxiety and the, my depression as a bit of like an iceberg and that you only get to see what's above the surface. You don't get to see what goes on below to build the foundations. And the reason why I share that is because all my parents got to see was the physical outbreaks that I used to have. That would be the the, the nights of crying, um, the nights of just staying in my room, locked down because I didn't have the confidence to leave, um, me neglecting things and and then being afraid to talk to me sometimes because of what I'd come out with. What they didn't get to see was the, what, the beneath the surface, which was the foundations that built this big ice that eventually had that small little peak. They didn't get to see that because I didn't let them in and I didn't feel comfortable talking about it.
0: I guess that you know, the position that you were in is very common for, for a lot of young people in today's world. And what, what would be your advice to parents if they are looking at a child and thinking, oh, my child is not where they're meant to be?
2: What would my advice be to parents? I think I'll find out that answer when I become a parent for myself one day and I have to go through that kind of emotions. But for me, the biggest thing that that I was grateful for that my parents was, was patience. And they, they didn't force answers out of me. I think the best thing that my parents did for me and, and they still do today is that if they can see physically that I'm not where I need to be or not where I should be or where I usually am on a day-to-day basis, they can physically identify that but I think what they did fantastically was they didn't make it a big taboo subject of that. They didn't go out of their way to make sure I was okay. Yes. They asked me if I, how I was feeling and they provided me the opportunity to talk, but then they just allowed me to do what was best for me. And I think sometimes when it comes down to dealing with emotions or dealing with mental health or or dealing with challenges, because we all have challenges through life. No one's life is one, no smooth sail. We all have to go through that adversity and resilience, but I think we have to find in ourselves what works best for us. And for me, locking myself in my bedroom for a couple of hours and just putting my head down was actually what was best for me. And if that's what's best for someone, then you need to allow them to do that. But as long as you provide them the opportunity to say, look, Luke, we're here for you. If you want to talk, we're always here, no matter what time or day. And for me, that was the most amazing thing because it meant that I could deal with my problems and my challenges on my own accord. But then when I felt comfortable and I accepted my emotions, I accepted how I was feeling and I knew how to talk about them, then in that moment, I could then decide to leave my bedroom and go and open up and talk about it. So being patient, but also realising that they're not going to answer your questions when you want them to be. It doesn't work like that. But as long as you're there for them, that's all that matters.
1: It struck me that when you were talking about the importance of language, you were talking initially about the you, you've got a problem. And then when you said what would be helpful is let, let us And actually part of what you're describing there is just asking the parent to be in on the journey, but not necessarily trying to control it, just be kind of riding alongside and stepping in and and being a part of that journey and making sure that that young person knows that they're there, but but not being a sort of you got this problem, I'm going to help you and that kind of distinction.
2: That's it. It's a continuous, it's it's something you need to work through. It's a relationship you need to manage. And as much as you'd love to have a perfect relationship 100% of the time, that thing only happens in the movies and in fairy tales. It's a case of that. We need to be a part of it together, and it's all about supporting one another. And I think the, the the bit where my parents kind of felt as if that they lost contact with me was when I attempted to take my own life, when my suicide, I, I wrote a suicide note, and because I thought I had to give up, I thought that this was this was it. And when I talk about being one decision away from a totally different life, I thought, well, this is going to be the one decision that's going to change my life and it's the only way out. And I think at that moment, my parents probably thought as if, right, that we've lost control here. But actually, having gone through that night and having gone through that experience, on the flip side of that, there's probably more control than ever because they allowed me then, they realized that, right, okay, Luke's has gone to his deepest level. This is where we're at now. It can only go up. And then began the process of slowly, step-by-step, step, rebuilding and and helping me to get help and support and, and working through it together. And then when we started working through things together, we become so much more closer as a family, but also we they become so much better in understanding me and my mental health, And but also vice versa with me on the flip side with them because nothing would make because what would happen I'd have an anxiety attack and that would make me feel really down and sad then I would see them react to my anxiety attack or I'd see them react to my mental health that would then make them sad which would then in return make me even more sad because I felt as if I was letting them down so it was this constant see-saw that I'd manage but then once I learned and I saw how it was making them feel I thought, right what if I can let them in a little bit to put their mind at ease so initially where they would flip into this state of worry by me sharing a small part of what I was going through or what I was feeling put them at ease too. So we managed to to manage that relationship a whole lot better.
1: So to so going back to that November 2012, that that moment as it were, you talk about that as being so pivotal to you. What kind of happened in that moment and what were the steps that you've described, you know, that that took you back to where you are now?
2: So for me it was this moment that it was really wearing this mask and I thought as if I just couldn't continue wearing it anymore. And I just had to take it off because whenever I came in the comfort of my own home, I would take this mask off and I'd be my true self. And and I couldn't keep on wearing this mask and pretending that I was okay when I really wasn't. But the biggest and most pivotal point for me during that time was, was I look back and I sat down before I was about to make this decision to, to end my life. And, and I asked myself a question that was that if my story ended tonight. Would I be happy with everything that my story would tell? Or that I still want to write some of the best chapters of my life? And when I realized that, well, I've only written a quarter of the story here, and I've still got so many amazing things ahead that I'd be missing out on. And I asked myself a question then, well, if I feel like this now, then why have I held on for so long previously? Why has it taken three or four years to get me to this point now? And, And I realized that I probably felt like this a number of times during that journey, but I just found that true strength inside of me to, to get through it and to realize that better things were going to come my way. And I still had to write some of the best chapters of my life and my story. So it was in that moment then I said, you know what, this isn't, this isn't the answer. The answer is to, to prove everyone wrong. The answer is to, to go and do things that I love to do and, and show everyone that, you know, every setback in life is a platform for a comeback and although you can't go back and make a brand new start although I wish I could anyone can start now and make a brand new ending and I decided to use that moment as you know what it's going to be a new chapter tomorrow the journey of recovery is going to start then and once I get to that journey of the recovery I want to start doing more of the things that I love to do and, and what I love to do in that moment was helping people and I found that by helping others I was actually helping myself
1: It sounds as if you kind of had at that pivotal moment in November 2012, you had that kind of almost like a conversation with yourself in the mirror kind of thing, saying, you know, what what are you about? And yet what I'm also hearing is that you're you're having that conversation is ongoing, constantly saying to yourself and having that conversation. um, Is that something that can be taught, do you think, or something that you can guide people in, or is it really down to the individual?
2: that's that's a great question i um, I never personally thought of it um, in terms of something that can be taught or teach yes I, I believe it can I think for me it was more of, less of a conversation more of a reflection piece and and like I said you know we often look at ourselves in the mirror you know as check our appearances or check the hairs okay before we do things and I think it's okay to often check in ourselves in that mirror as well for me I The very start of it, I didn't really have the confidence to checking with someone else. So, looking in the mirror was the next best thing, and and by checking myself there, it was having that real honesty piece as well, and having that acceptance of what I checked in in terms of not being afraid to accept if things weren't great or things wasn't bad, and that's especially happened a lot during during lockdown over the last two months. You know, I'm not someone who's perfect. I think that's what a lot of people get caught up in. You know. A lot of people go for me for for the answers for their problems but because they think I'm indestructible. Well, no, that's not the case. I still have bad days just like all of us. This is something that is an ongoing process. And it's important to when you do check in with yourself to really be honest and it's okay to feel that way and realize that when you do check in, sometimes it's not going to be all good. And rather than trying to sugarcoat that and tell yourself, no, actually, I am fine. I can get through this. Rather than sugarcoating it, it's about how I call it the ABC framework for resilience, the bounce back framework. And the first word is a, which is accepting how you're feeling. You know, we, we feel our emotions. We not, we not our emotions. It's, I feel sad, not, I am sad. I feel stressed. I am not stressed. So once we've accepted that, then we can go on to the next level, which is bounce. And for us, it's all about bouncing back. When we then, bounce back and take that one action to to help once we've accepted how we're feeling we can then do something about it once we've done that then the the third and last letter is c which is all about committing committing to the, the bigger purpose committing to when you feel like this next time when you feel stressed next you know exactly what you can do to bounce back and then stopping that so rather than spending days weeks in my case of feeling stressed and thinking i am stressed I know for the next time how I can deal with that scenario a lot better. Um, but yeah, that's how I kind of use that self-reflection mirror check-in piece. But I think it can be taught. It just takes, it takes time, it takes practice and it's not going to happen the first time. But if you're willing to get better uh, 1% every day, then you're going to be in a lot better place than you was yesterday.
1: That's really helpful. I, lo- I love that, ABC. Part of the acceptance, I mean, two words that come up a lot in what you said are masks. I guess one other thing is, In the mirror, you're looking, am I wearing a mask today or am I going to accept who I really am? But also that idea of emotion. And we often forget how powerful teenage emotions are in particular. I mean, they're powerful throughout your life, aren't they? But teenagers, you know, some people, some parents can often be quite patronizing about, uh, you know, a teenager's emotion where actually they're often at their most powerful and strong at that time, aren't they? And I guess it's taking those two things seriously, the mask and the emotion. And that that whole acceptance around that point is really helpful, I think. Thank you.
0: I um, I'm I'm really inspired by you, Luke. And and you know, you're clearly quite an exceptional human being, and you deserve the, the wonderful testimonies from people like Theresa May, which is amazing. Um, but I suppose I'm I'm kind of caught and I'm thinking, you know, there's Luke, who obviously is quite an exceptional person and has responded to his travails and woes. But there are lots and lots of them out there, aren't there, who are all in the same position. And I don't think a lot of them have got what you've got, which is that sort of get up and go and and, and determination. And so what, what, what's your kind of advice to, I suppose you and I, we're, we're all in the sort of same place of trying to encourage parents and teachers to, to do their best? Or, Young people—is it simply always a case of just believing yourself, or are there other things that you would suggest that 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 people should focus on?
2: Hmm. I think there's there's two answers to that question. There, I think there's an answer from a young person's perspective, which I went through, and then there's a perspective that I've now gone through as a bit of a a teacher going going into schools and advice I can give for teachers and parents. Uh, I'll touch on the parents bit first, because I think that's where the biggest impact and where a lot of parents worry about. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about this self-care, especially with young people and especially with people in the workplace. It is essential for parents and for teachers to look after themselves, because if they don't look after themselves, then it's only the young people or the children that will suffer. And how I like to elaborate on how the importance of self-care is that, the first thing we do when we get told on an, I mean, on an airplane is that if the airplane was to have an emergency, the first thing you do is put the mask on yourself and then put the mask on the others. However, so many teachers and parents are so guilty of putting the mask on their children, on their, fat, on their young people first, rather than putting it on themselves. They say, you know what, I want to be the bigger person. I want to help people. I want to change people's lives from some teachers or I want to protect my children from everything around them. So in that case, they rush around putting masks on every young people, try and help everyone, but realise that that is completely unrealistic. And the more you do that, the more you're going to burn out yourself. Self-care is not a a nice topic. It's not something that you um, should do. It's a need to do. It's a must-do subject because when you put the mask on yourself, you look after yourself, then you can put the mask on everyone else and you can work harder for so much longer. For children, the biggest thing for me was taking really small steps. Whenever I tried to really make this change or when I started to turn my life around, I always had these really big outrageous goals that I'd always be willing to share with people because I was always that young person who really dared to dream. I didn't see challenges. I only saw opportunities. But what would happen was I'd set myself a goal and say, for example, I want to go out and run a, a half marathon would be my goal. So I'd say, right, starting on Monday, I am going to run... 10k i'm going to eat healthy i'm going to get up at six o'clock and go for a run i'm going to do all of these things and i make these really big goals now when monday came and i try and run 5k and maybe i missed it or i didn't run as far as i wanted to or whatever um i missed my timer. i slept in. suddenly all of those goals i had that was going to start me on this road to recovery or start me on this goal to my half marathon completely was destroyed so the most important thing I can say for young people is if they are going through it and they want to get somewhere where they're not now, then the most important thing you can do is break it down to small steps, small steps, big priority, make one small change every week and then make that the biggest priority by doing the small things every week. You're going to build confidence. You're going to build courage in yourself. And all of a sudden, when you look back, it may not fail a lot of effort at the start, but it's going to make a massive difference when you zoom out and look at the perspective over a week, you do one thing every week. You're going to be a lot further far as you wanted to, as opposed to, to maybe doing that one big task and maybe failing. So yeah, that's the biggest thing for me, break things down, make them easy steps, but make it the biggest priority of the week.
1: And does that for parents, is that kind of helping the children to just take those steps and sometimes be accountable, I guess as well. And it's it's always a conversation. Sometimes, I guess it's knowing your child, isn't it? Sometimes they'll want to do that on their own and sometimes they'll want your support and it's just being whatever they need in that moment, I guess.
2: Mm, I think another thing with that as well is is vulnerability. I think as, as parents and as teachers, we often shy from being vulnerable with our young people and being with our children because we see vulnerability as a threat where I see vulnerability as a weakness, sorry, as a strength. And when you are vulnerable with people when you put them in the situation that I've felt like that before you empathize with them. You don't let them off the hook because of what they've been through, what their experiences are. Once you empathize with them and you allow everyone to be on the same page and be vulnerable together, then suddenly they have a whole new perspective of what the advice you're giving them.
1: It's interesting that we've been talking as a school that I'm in, about you know how do we give permission to children to talk about the difficulties they're having in lockdown. And, and, our, and our first kind of deduction is really that we need to talk about how difficult we're finding it. Just standing up and saying, look, we're, we're going through this. We've found that. That just sort of opens a door, like you said, to allow them to feel they can step through it. We've done that quite effectively through what we call faded talks as well, where teachers stand up and just say, this is where I got stuff wrong in my life. And just allowing teenagers then to see people that they like or respect or just adult to say okay that's that's okay we can we can share and have the same emotions and feelings it's not it's it's not a problem
0: yeah it's 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 a teacher and a parent as well coming out of their role, isn't it, and you feel that you've probably got to be strong or you've got to be well no, you know we want to encourage kind of a, a, a humanity i think is what I would see it as that sort of sense of yeah i battle too
1: it's about taking off our own masks in that sense as well isn't it you know not feeling that we have to be masked in that situation well luke that's been fantastic so interesting talking to you uh, i think i echo what james said which is you are very inspirational to talk to you and we really value your insights in this podcast so thanks so much for your time today thank you luke and, and all the best
2: thank you so much for having me on to the talking teenagers podcast real honor to, to jump on you guys and have such a an insightful conversation.
1: You've been listening to Talking Teenagers. Music has been by Ru Paynes. Editing by George Purvis and James Certain. For more information about I Can and I Am charity, who provide presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people, visit their website at icaniam.com.
2: Be your soul.